Next week, Christians from around the world will assemble to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. We are told in our own country that on an average Sunday, 40% of Americans attend church. But on Easter, 70% of Americans attend church. But before there was a resurrection, there was a crucifixion. God's way of redeeming man from his sin. Chuck Swindoll wrote about the sacrifice of Christ and the suffering he endured. Excruciating pain accompanied every upward push for breath and every downward release from fatigue. Each movement cut deeper into bone and tendons and raw muscle. Waves of hallucinations drifted the victim in and out of consciousness. And in time, flies and other insects found their way to the open wounds. Today we look at the cross of Christ as you take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 19, beginning in verse number 17. They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called to the place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two other men, one on either side, and Jesus in between. And Pilate wrote an inscription also and put it on the cross, and it was written Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Therefore, this inscription many of the Jews read, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and in Greek. And so the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, in order that the Scripture might be fulfilled, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. As we look at the crucifixion of Christ, we begin with his trial. There were four charges brought against Jesus. Three of them were political. One of them was religious. We see the political charges brought against Jesus in Luke chapter 23, verse number 2. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ a king. The first charge they brought was that he was misleading our nation. The term is a little vague. We are not exactly sure what it meant. But probably it had something to do with Jesus was stirring up the people to rebel against the authorities. That's what other so-called messiahs had done. It would have been a believable charge because Josephus wrote that the Galileans were prone to sedition. 
that it was expected that they would act this way. And so he said it would be easy for the Roman magistrate to believe that this was a true charge. He's misleading our nation. The second political charge they brought was forbidding to pay taxes. Albert Barnes said that was a cunning charge because they did not say he taught forbidding to pay taxes, but that that was the result of his teaching. Of course, that was not true either. When Jesus was questioned about the responsibility of paying taxes, he said, Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. The third political charge they brought against him is that he claimed to be king. That is the only charge found in all four Gospels. The charge is this, that if he claimed to be king, then he required loyalty to himself, not to Caesar. And so that was the charge that was brought against him. The religious charge is found in John 19, verse number 7. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. In other words, they charged him with blasphemy. So there were three political charges brought against Jesus. There was one religious charge. He ought to die because he made himself out to be God. Jesus was tried before a corrupt court. His trial was held at night, which was illegal. Guilt was presumed not innocent. They took him, presuming him to be guilty. Witnesses were found to testify against him falsely. The scripture says in Mark 14, verses 55 and 56, Now the chief priest and the whole council kept trying to obtain testimony against Jesus to put him to death. And they were not finding any. For many were giving false testimony against him, and yet their testimony was not consistent. They allowed no defense in this kangaroo court. So it was a corrupt court to which Jesus came. He was interrogated and found to be innocent. Jesus was brought before Pilate, and I was reading earlier this morning over in the previous chapter where Pilate interrogated him. He asked him all the questions, but he questioned him thoroughly, and after he had interrogated Jesus, his conclusion was that he was not guilty. If you look in our text in verse number 4, Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Verse number 6, When therefore the chief priest and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify, crucify! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. So Pilate then interrogated Jesus and concluded that he was not guilty. He learned that Herod was nearby, and so he sent Jesus over to Herod. Herod questioned him as well, and after Herod had questioned Jesus, he too concluded that he was not guilty, and so he sent him back to Pilate. The trial of Jesus, four charges, three political, one religious, and he stood before a corrupt court, and they crucified him. 
Verse number 16, so he then delivered him to them to be crucified. Barclay wrote, the story of the crucifixion does not need commentary. Its power resides simply in the telling. I was thinking about the crucifixion of Jesus. He was totally crucified. Man is a trichotomy. He is physical. He is soul. And he is spiritual. And Jesus was crucified in all three areas. He suffered physically. Jim Bishop wrote the day Christ died, the executioner laid the cross beam behind Jesus and brought him to the ground quickly by grasping his arm and pulling him backward. As soon as Jesus fell, the beam was fitted behind his neck, and on each side soldiers quickly knelt on the inside of the elbows. The thorns pressed against his torn scalp. With his right hand, the executioner probed the wrist of Jesus to find the little hollow spot. When he found it, he took one of the square-cut iron nails, raised the hammer over the nail head, and brought it down with force. He suffered physically. In fact, the Romans believed the crucifixion was an ideal way to execute a criminal. It was extremely painful. And it took hours for a person to die. And so the citizens then could see the suffering. They could see the penalty that was paid. And they believed that it served as a deterrent to crime. He suffered physically. He suffered emotionally. Which was probably more painful than the physical suffering. He suffered rejection. There are many of you who understand the pain of rejection because you have been rejected. Some of you have been rejected by your spouse, a husband, a wife, and they have gone on their way leaving you behind and a pain in your heart. You know what it is to be rejected. Some of you have been rejected by parents who did not agree with you or perhaps did not love you as far as you're concerned. Some of you parents have been rejected by children who've wanted to live a life different from what you approved. So we understand rejection. Jesus' life was a life of rejection from his earliest days when his parents came to Bethlehem. The Bible says that they were turned away from the inn because there was no room for them in the inn. The purpose for which he came caused rejection. And the Bible says in John 1.11, He came to His own, and those who were His own did not receive Him. And then, of course, the cross was the ultimate rejection. As they took Jesus and nailed Him to cross, He was betrayed. Even by His own disciples, Simon Peter promised that He would be faithful to Jesus even unto death. And within a few hours, it was Simon Peter who denied that he even knew who he was. Judas, the treasure of the disciples, sold him for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. He suffered physically, he suffered emotionally, but the most painful of all is that he suffered spiritually. You see, he who was sinless became sin. 
And the Scripture says in Colossians 2.14, Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, and which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Do you understand that at the cross, all of your sin, all of my sin, were placed on Jesus? That's why he died. All of my sin, every transgression, every iniquity, every sin of omission, every sin of commission, all of my sin was placed on Jesus. He who was sinless became sin. And he who was one with the Father was separated from the Father. The Bible says in Matthew 27:46, and about the ninth hour... Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Father, why have you forsaken me? Well, he, he became sin. And God is holy who cannot look on sin. And for the first time, there was a separation between father and son. Because the Son had taken all our sin upon Himself. And a holy God forsook Him there. He was crucified. Then there is the promise of Jesus in verse number 30 of our text. When Jesus therefore had received the sour wine, He said, It is finished. Three words, one Aramaic word, to telestai. And He bowed His head and gave up His spirit. I believe that this is one of the most wonderful promises in all of Scripture because it literally means it's finished, it stands finished, and it will always be finished. Well, what does it mean to telestai? The way the word is used gives us some insight as to what it means. It was a word that was used by artists. And when an artist had painted a picture, a portrait, a scene... And it was completed. The artist then would stand back looking at the painting and would say to Telestai, it is finished. It was a word that was also used by a servant. When a servant had been given an assignment by his or her master and the assignment, the task was complete, then the servant would say to the master, to Telestai, it is complete. It is finished. It was a word that was also used by the priest. And when someone were going to make a sacrifice and they brought the sacrificial animal to the priest, the priest examined the animal. And if he concluded that the animal were acceptable for Offering acceptable for sacrifice, then the priest would say to Telestai, it is perfect. It is complete. It was a word that was used by merchants. When someone bought something, they gave the money to the merchant. The merchant in turn would give them a receipt, and the receipt would say to Telestai, it is paid in full. 
Warren Wearsby wrote, perhaps the most meaningful meaning of tetelestai was that used by the merchants. The debt is paid in full. When he gave himself on the cross, Jesus fully met the righteous demands of a holy law. He paid our debt in full. So the word then, it is finished, tetelestai, uttered by Jesus from the cross, meant the work was finished, the price was paid, the sacrifice was perfect. Max Licato wrote, the history-long plan of redeeming man was finished. The job was finished. The song had been sung. The blood had been poured. The sacrifice had been made. The sting of death had been removed. It was over. At the cross, Jesus declared to Telestai, it is finished. What did he finish? What was it that he finished at the cross? Well, first of all, the atonement for sin, because his death atoned for our sin. Warren Wearsby wrote, none of the Old Testament sacrifices could take away sins. Their blood only covered sin. But the Lamb of God shed his blood, and that blood can take away the sins of the world. Folks, when Jesus said at the cross to Telestai, it is finished. He is saying that He has provided our atonement because He conquered sin. 1 John 1, 7 says, The blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. And the word cleanses means to declare clean, to make clean, to purify. Kenneth Wiest wrote, And while we are having this fellowship with Him, the blood of Jesus, His Son, keeps constantly cleansing us from sins of omission, sins of ignorance, sins we know nothing about in our lives, and for the reason we have not grown in grace enough to see that they are sin. When Jesus died on the cross, dear friend, He conquered sin, your sin, my sin, sins of commission, sins of omission, all sin, to tell us die. He conquered sin. He conquered death. John MacArthur said God sent His Son, and His Son willingly came to, re to die to redeem man. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 55 through 57, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. No wonder the Apostle Paul could say that it is better for me if I leave this life to go to heaven rather than stay. Why? Because Jesus conquered death on the cross. He conquered sin on the cross. That is the reason that heaven is precious to you and to me. Jesus provided it at the cross. What is finished? What did He finish at the cross? Your atonement. He paid for our sin. Reconciliation. Jesus died on the cross to reconcile us to God the Father. Paul wrote in Romans 5, but God demonstrates His own love toward us. So that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us.
Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. The word reconciliation means to return to favor, to receive one into favor. Folks, by His death, we are made right with God. I'm not right with God because I'm a Baptist. I'm not right with God because I'm a preacher. I'm not right with God because I live a pretty good life. It is Jesus who finished that work at Calvary's cross. And now then, I can be right with God because of what He provided at Calvary. Reconciliation. What is finished? What did He provide? At the cross, He provided access to God the Father. The work of the high priest could never do that. The thousands upon thousands upon thousands of sacrifices could never do that, but Jesus did. The Bible says in Hebrews 10:19, "Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. It is what He did at the cross that gives me access to God. I can come before God the Father because of what Jesus did at the cross. What did He provide at the cross? What did He finish at the cross? Acceptance by God. We are accepted by God. When Eric, my son, married Emily, she became my daughter. My daughter-in-law, because of her relationship to my son. When I became a believer, I became a child of God because of my relationship to Jesus. And therefore, there is no enmity. Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one. And broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. What did he finish? Acceptance. And now I am accepted by God because of what he did on the cross. What did He provide at the cross? He provided the assurance of salvation. In Hebrews 10, 14, For by one offering He has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. What an incredible verse. For by one offering He has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Three factors, the word perfected. It means to complete, to make perfect. It's in the perfect tense, which means, which means that it is accomplished and remains accomplished. The modifier for all time speaks of eternity. You know what happens to us when we trust Jesus? I know I talk with people sometimes and they are concerned as to whether or not uh, they are saved, trusted the Lord, and 
I'm not sure he kept me saved. I don't feel saved. Sometimes I don't act saved. Am I saved? I can't answer that question for you, and I would not try to, but let me tell you what Scripture says. The Bible says that when I put my faith in Jesus Christ and I truly trust Him, that I am placed in the hand of God, that I am covered by the blood of Jesus, and that I am sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, the way I see it, if I truly did that, then the only way I could lose my salvation is if some way you were able to break the seal of the Spirit, disannul the blood of Jesus, and pry open the hand of God. What did Jesus do at the cross? He gave me assurance of salvation. Folks, there is no doubt in my mind, but one day I'm going to heaven. That's not an arrogant statement. That's a statement of faith in Jesus. Because that's the promise that he made. So, let me conclude. What does the cross mean? It means no more sacrifice. Because he provided the only sacrifice that's needed. When Jesus died on the cross, he was absolutely sufficient to pay for the sins of man. No more sacrifice. It means no more sin-bearing. There is no more guilt. Because Jesus has forgiven. He has forgiven us. And you and I do not have to live a life of guilt if we have received the forgiveness of Christ. It means there is no more curse because the curse of sin has been removed. To tell us die, it is finished. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Do you know Jesus? Oh, my friend, he loves you so much, he gave his life on the cross that you might be saved, that you might be forgiven, that you might spend eternity in heaven. Do you know him? That is the invitation of the cross. As Jesus' arms are outstretched wide, that is the invitation of the cross. Our gracious Father and God, how we thank you for the unbelievable sacrifice you made on Calvary for us. Absolutely, totally sufficient. And Father, I pray for those today who have substituted religion for a relationship with Christ, that they might be saved. I pray, Father, for those who believe that they are too bad to be saved, that they might understand your great, great love and receive it. Father, I pray today that as Jesus is lifted up, that people will be drawn to him for forgiveness and salvation. I ask in Christ's name, amen. Well, in just a moment, the choir is going to sing. We're going to stand, extend an invitation. My friend, if you are here today without Jesus Christ, would you receive him? Would you receive him? Throughout history, he has been rejected. But would you receive him into your heart? Perhaps the Lord is speaking to your heart about becoming a part of this church. Our doors are open. He would love to have you if God wants you here. 
I hope you'll free, feel free to come. Stand with me, please, as we stand together in the choir sings. You come. I'll greet you as you do.